Riverside. What is up, everybody? I'm sure for your loyal listeners out there, you're surprised to hear my voice to kick off the show. Um, that's because, as we've said before, life happens. Dan is currently in the great state of Wisconsin, Roll Badgers, for a wedding. And obviously, since we decided to play golf earlier this week instead of recording a podcast, I'm going to go solo dolo here for a second and just recap the week and kind of preview the weekend. We're not going to get any nitty gritty details about uh, player development like we usually do. I just kind of want to make sure that that we're producing a podcast on the weekly basis so we don't lose our few loyal listeners that we have and just want to kind of touch base with the fan base. So, you know, you're going to hear from me. It's going to be straight up New York media style where I'm going to sit here and I'm going to scream and holler into this mic with a room with nobody, nobody to talk to. Guys would be surprised how much I talk to myself about baseball. So I should have some experience with this, but I've never had it recorded. So if it sounds a little wonky, if it sounds a little out of touch and and off, and I kind of just ramble here for a second. Just cut me some slack. All right. This is my first time doing this solo dolo. Hopefully it's the last time. Uh, you know, Dan and I want to make as many podcasts as we can, can make. And so here we go. So, uh, looking back at it this past weekend, obviously I'm not going to lie to you guys. I sat on the couch and watched college football all day on Saturday and what a great day it was. It was raining here in North Carolina and pretty much from that. 10 a.m. until 10 p.m. I was sprawled out on the jean couch for, for any of you friends of mine that, that know about the jean couch. Shout out anybody who sat on it. It's the most legit couch you'll ever, uh, ever see in your life. But, uh, so I, I was out of baseball on Saturday. I was in college football mode, which I know Dan would say the same. He had four TVs and from, what I understand there was no football or no baseball on any of those TVs. It was a college football Saturday. It was raining here in North Carolina and nothing gets better than, than a, than a Saturday with rain. You can't do anything, can't get any work done. And you just sprawl out on the couch all day. So when I look back at the box scores from this weekend, and obviously I was paying attention to the other days of baseball, you know, first thing that comes to mind is that the Mets and Yankees are heading in a different direction to our Mets fans out there. Hit me up. You guys worried? What's going on? And the Yankees, are, Glaber Torres is getting hot. Anthony Rizzo's getting healthy. We called him out on here. They needed the backside ground balls motivation to get going. So what's going on in New York right now? It seems like it's been the tale of two teams the whole season when the Mets are going well. Well, at the beginning, both teams were going well, but Mets were playing really well and the Yankees were scuffling out of the all-star break. Now, Yankees are starting to figure it out at the right time, right? Do I still think that lineup has a lot of holes? 100%. Do I still think Donaldson's the straw that stirs the drink and he's still not going the way Donaldson is capable of and has he He has been in the past 100%. But when you stack a lineup with Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, a good Glaber Torres, he's getting hot. He's playing good baseball right now. He's going the other way with authority. That's opening up the pool side for him. 
Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMayhew, Andrew Benintendi. We talk about those pieces. Frankie Montas, he got screwed in an outing. He had, didn't have his best stuff his last time out. And Aaron Hicks drops a foul ball that he thought was foul. It ends up, it was fair. He ends up getting tagged for four earned runs. He's pitching well. Garrett Cole's an ace. I'm taking Garrett Cole in a playoff and Nestor Cortez. Do I think they match up well with the Astros? No, I don't. The the Astros have a embarrassment of riches on the mound. Hunter Brown's going to go pitch out of the pen and they're just going to have 15,000 dudes that throw a hundred with spin and a split finger and gross off speed. But anything happens in the playoffs, you know, and for the Mets, it's kind of the opposite there. It's like your team's built for the playoffs, right? Have you kicked it in the gear? Does Buck need to get on the boys? Obviously getting Max is back is going to be huge, huge, but you know, it's, DeGrom showed himself to be human the other day, and that's the first time we've seen that in almost two full calendar years. And even you could probably argue it hasn't been two full calendar years. It might have been four years. Um, But obviously, I'm just thinking about this start this past week against the Cubs, where, you know, that's a team he should dominate. But obviously, we're spoiled by Jacob DeGrom. He still had 11 punchies. Zach McKinstry, he could throw you three fastballs and you'd still get punched out. So shut your mouth when you're walking back to the dugout, know who you are. But that team's built for the playoffs. So are we getting in on on the wrong foot? Obviously, I'm not a huge proponent of a contact first approach in the playoffs. I think you have to battle. I think you have to hit with two strikes. I think you have to put balls in play with authority. But I also think you need to play for the three run home run. And I worry that the Mets are not going to be able to play for the three-run home run, but Max and DeGrom are going to keep them in any game. The issue is how healthy are they going to be? And if you don't win the division, you have to burn them in the first round against the Phillies, if that's who you line up with. And Aaron Nola is amazing. He's been great this year. He's Pitched really well down the stretch. He has a couple hiccups here and there, but he had a pretty good outing last week against the Marlins, if I'm not mistaken. I know Dan's usually here to fact check me, especially on Philly's facts. But Zach Wheeler, if Zach Wheeler gets healthy too, that's not a team you want to run into in a three-game winner-take-all. I know it's going to be in your park. I know all those things. But the Mets, I mean, if you want your pitching to line up like everybody has planned out since day one, you got to get win the division. And it's not... It's not do or die. You know, you get in and anything happens. Anything happens in the baseball playoffs, but that's kind of the reality of the sport. But when you look at the Mets and you look at what's going on, you're playing your worst baseball at the worst possible time. Before coming into last week, everybody was like, well, they've played six. They've won 61% of their games since July when the five-game series, when the when the Braves kind of got hot. Well, now you're playing less than 500 teams and you're losing. You just got swept by the Cubs, and I'm sure they're gritty. They're young. You know, they're playing for their next contract. They're playing for ARB. I get it. I get it. You're not playing the Nationals there. But that's a series with the Grom on the mound that you got to win. At least one game, right? You got to win at least one game. So that's tough. I know you got the Pirates coming to town this weekend. Again, that's a team that kind of handled their business against you guys recently. So as for the Mets, it's, you know, get in, obviously get your rotation, get Max healthy, you know, get Walker figured out, get Cookie Carrasco stretched out and healthy, get the Grom on the mound. It doesn't matter. Give him 110 pitches and let him go dominate. And yeah, of course, anything can happen, but it's a tough time to be playing your roughest baseball. 
There's no doubt about that. And and like I said, for the Yankees, it's good to see them turning it around. Obviously, the pressure in that city for both of those teams, right? It's not just the Mets. It's not just the Yankees. The pressures for both of those teams to perform with that media, you know, Mets and Yankees, you guys are just giving the New York media something to talk about every day, man. You guys can't just both play well at the same time and and make it easy for for fans and to be happy and not be uh stressed out cuz the media is trying to make a headline with everything that happens. So, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the the rest of this uh this regular season. Obviously, the the Rays have a li- or sorry, the Mets have a little bit more pressure than the Yankees. The Yankees kind of built themselves a a lead and obviously with winning the last couple of games while Tampa Bay and Toronto beat them so beat each other up this week. So, um, you know, and the Mets have to, you know, fight. They're fighting with the Braves. It's a good Braves team. There's no denying that. I know the Braves have a tougher schedule down the stretch, but that's still a good Braves team that that Braves team is going to battle and they're going to be right there until the finish line. And, and that's going to be a fun division to watch. And I definitely think that if you're the Mets, you want to win that division a little bit more than, you know, having to line up and, and burn DeGrom and Scherzer in those, that first game, three game series. Cause then who knows if you get them, get them lined back up. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like I said, with the Yankees, they've continued to build their lead. Tampa Bay and Toronto played a five game series and it was about as evenly matched as you could imagine. And, and you can kind of see that if those two teams, I don't know if the playoff bracket today, I don't think it would. I believe the Blue Jays would play the Mariners and the Rays would play the Guardians. Shout out to me for actually saying Guardians. I know I've slipped up on that before. I've made a point that I don't have Dan to correct me today. So I got to make sure I say Guardians and <laughs> nailed it on the first one. Fact check me a little bit later if I can keep it going. But Tampa Bay and Toronto played a really good series this week. You know, those are two playoff teams that I, I would say are pretty evenly matched. Bo Bichette, man. Bo, we're seeing beach balls out there. My goodness. Barreling up everything, hitting sliders off of his shoelaces for knocks, hitting homers off tough arms off of Jason Adam. If you knew who Jason Adam was before the year, credit you. Hands, round of applause. Because that guy's gross, and he throws a filthy slider to Bo Bichette, who hits a big home run after getting his nose hairs trimmed by a heater earlier in the game. And he was pissed about that heater coming high and in. So that shows how comfortable he is in the box right now. Because to get your nose hairs trimmed, usually that'll uh, throw you off a little bit. But you stay on a filthy slider on the outer third below the zone, stay through it beautifully, get backspin to the pool side there, and see yourself trotting around the bases. That that. That shows what he's locked in right now, and and he's he's carrying the freight for them boys, and and you know Tampa Bay just ho hum. Tampa Bay doing what Tampa Bay does, right? They they played really well against the Yankees. I know they were gifted kind of that that Frankie Montas outing um, with three three runs that were all on Aaron Hicks. Um, and I know the New York fans love Aaron Hicks. God, he's so, he, he's such a good player, isn't he? You guys definitely agree with that. So, um, you know, Frankie Montas took one on the chin against the Rays. And, you know, the Rays just keep doing it. You know, they had a doubleheader on Tuesday that, again, they split. 
and you know Je- Jeffrey Springs. Jeffrey Springs doesn't get enough love. Uh, I'm calling it right here, Dan. When you listen to this tomorrow, we got to talk about Jeffrey Springs. Sneaky 89 mile per hour fastball, gross changeup. Guy was in the bullpen with the Red Sox. He was in the bullpen with the Rays. The Rays go, hey, let's let's tinker with this. Let's tinker with that. We got to dive into the nitty gritty. But he has a fastball that plays up because it has rise. And it's at 89 miles per hour and a changeup that plays right off of it. And it gets a ton of swings and misses and he gets a ton of success from that. I mean, he's striking out more than, more than a batter per inning and he looks like he's going to be a, another budding star for them. And, you know, so he goes out on Tuesday, pitches a really good outing in game one and then the Blue Jays respond and win in the nightcap. So, you know, that's, that's pretty much what this series has been. You know, Blue Jays win game one, Rays win game two, Blue Jays win game three, Rays took, let me see, double check myself. Now I'm panicking. The Blue Jays took last night. So the Blue Jays are up taking three out of four so far, but the Rays have a chance to get back out there today. Their ace is on the mound. Shane Mack is going to be back. He's going to be blowing a hundred. We'll see if he's on a pitch count, but if there's any team that's built to to only have their starter go 60 pitches, it's the Rays. So it'll be interesting. Shane Mack versus Kevin Gaussman today as I record. So anybody who's listening to this tomorrow, um, you're going to be like, you're, we're all going to know the results to that, but that's a really good pitching match you have, matchup. You have the two aces of both those, both those ball teams uh, going at it in, in Toronto to, to cap out a five game series, but Toronto is playing really good baseball at the right time. Obviously we need to get Jose Barrios figured out. We need to get him going. Alec Manoa's gritty. He's a gamer. He goes out there and competes and, and he mouth breathes and he, he chirps the other dugout and he backs it up with some pretty good stuff. So you know you're going to get Gaussman. Gaussman split finger gross. You're going to have him go out there. He's going to pitch you a good game, and Alec Manoa is going to follow it up with a good one. But who's coming out third? We got to get Barrios going. We got to get him figured out, and and that'll help that team. That'll lengthen out that that rotation a little bit. Now, do I trust them in a three game wild card series? One hundred percent with that lineup. Tell me, Vladdy with Bo hitting the way he is, George Springer, those boys come in and they'll rattle your feathers real quick, real quick, because they'll put up a seven spot on you like that on your number one. Now, when we get into the seven-game series and you have to go to to Yankee Stadium or you have to go out to Houston and you got to play those teams and those pitching staffs, you know, after those two starters, it gets a little hairy there. So we we got to get that situated to see what they're what they're capable of. And and obviously, Tampa Bay just Tampa Bay's just ho hum. They just keep doing it. Wander Franco's back. The guy just rolls out of bed and finds barrels. He might not roll out of bed and find knocks, but he finds barrels because that guy does not swing and miss. So getting him back in that lineup, Yanni Diaz is not getting enough love for what he's doing. He's producing elite exit velocity numbers, elite um, max exit velocity numbers. He's putting everything in play. He's walking a lot. He's not striking out. He's really, I mean, if anybody wants to look at a pretty baseball savant page, go check out Yanni Diaz's. The only thing that worries me and worries everybody is his barrel percentage is low. And why is that? Because too many barrels on the ground. Um, you know, so Yanni Diaz is close. I mean, I think it's going to continue to come naturally for him. That's my opinion as a, as a hitting guy is that some of those guys that are a little bit too downhill, you know, sometimes you just adjust your contact point 
and get to the point where you're catching a little bit out front, Chris, a la Christian Yelich. Anybody wants to check out his interview with Trevor Plouffe. Um, he talks about the adjustments that him and Barry Bonds made that made him an MVP candidate. Um, and it was just more about contact point and backsman of the pool side, catching it out in front, not changing anything, still being flat, everything like that. It'll be interesting to see if that's something Yandy Diaz can do. Cause obviously the Rays brought him in with the intention of being like, dude, you produce some barrels. When you put balls in play, it's pretty, pretty well hit. It's pretty well struck. So. It'll be interesting to see if he can spend an offseason kind of uh, getting right and, and getting more of those ground balls and to be line drives at least. You know, if he starts ha- having some line drives, getting his mishits, mishits to be up in the air at 25 degrees, you're talking about a 25, 30 home run guy. I mean, we've all seen him. He's freaking treaded. The guy can move a house. Like, so the strength's not what's missing. His exit velocity numbers are great. It's just a little bit too much on the ground. Warm burners don't play, but. You know, we'll talk about it later in this episode. You'll get my opinions for it. Maybe next year. That's more knocks. But he's his expected batting average is still really good because he's putting balls in play hard. He's he's hard to shift against anyway. Um, but you know, infielders are gonna be playing a little different next year. Speaking of offseason, Juan Soto get to the finish line. My goodness. I mean, obviously I look up to what you're capable of doing and and you're one of the best hitters in the major leagues, but could you even buy yourself a knock at this point? What's going on? Obviously the trade deadline seemed to spark him a little bit. You thought everybody thought he was checked out in DC. I told Dan when at before he was even getting rumored to be traded that he was going to be top 10 in the, the MVP voting. I'm sure Dan's going to remember that when he hears this and be like, Oh, you did say that. Now I look like an idiot because Juan Soto is, he's doing nothing. Nothing for the Padres. And then the Padres sold their farm for him. And obviously you get Juan Soto for a pretty long time. And especially if you can lock him up long term. But what's going on in San Diego right now? Like, tell me about that team. Last year was the same old, same old. It's just meh, right? Manny Machado is a dog. He can flat out play. Great baseball player. Jay Cronenworth's underperforming. Trent Grisham's underperforming. Juan Soto's underperforming. Jerkson Profar is supposed to be a guy for them, right? So... It's kind of weird. Josh Bell's underperforming. Like, what do we got going on there? A new manager this year. They thought the new bringing in Bob Melvin from the A's. You give Bob Melvin talent. That was what everybody imagined. Oh my God, you give Bob Melvin some talent. He's been in Oakland for years making playoff teams and same old, same old. So, so what's going on? Usually, you know, those kind of, those signs kind of point to, uh, some internal problems and obviously everybody's going to point to Fernando Tatis and the immaturity and the distraction that he's been, but that's, that can only be an excuse for a week or two, right? We can't have all these guys. Is their hitting coach? What's he up to, right? Because you got a lot of guys underperforming right now. There's a lot of guys out there on that roster that are a lot more talented than they're showcasing this year. So when you got guys like, Juan Soto hitting 235 and he showed up at your park hitting 250 and that was a bad year and Juan Soto is now tank in the tanker and he's he hasn't had a knock since August it feels like and I, I, I might not even be wrong with that it's been a while since he's had a knock it's fantasy playoffs and he's on my team and I, you can't bench Juan Soto but you're just taking over fours on the chin with a couple of walks and he's still getting on base because he's Juan Soto and pitchers know pitchers get it they still attack him the same way but Man, I mean, I saw one of his swings, and obviously he plays late night in San Diego. I saw one of his swings. He looked like he was fighting. 
you know, it's in bench warmers where he says it's not a sword. I mean, Juan Soto was chopping himself at a, at a fastball, just trying to fight it off basically off the front of the plate. So, you know, obviously he's got to get going and, and if they're going to make a run at it, if they're going to make a run at anything, I mean, he's got to carry that team. He's got to carry that and, and he's, he's done it before. So it's not like it's in question, but you know, that Padres team, I mean, in terms of talent, like, you know, I get, I get it. They've traded. Everybody's played for the Padres. Let's put it that way. I heard it that way a couple of weeks ago. It's like everybody in the last five years has played for the Padres because they've traded everybody and they've made moves and they've tried and they've tried and they've tried. But what's going on internally there that is causing this talent team? I mean, they very well, they could go win 90 games this year and I'm over here ragging on them because they're 79 wins. It could get hot down the stretch. So it's not like they're a bat. I mean, I would, if I was a GM, I would try to build a team to be a 90 win team every year. That's it. That's all I would do. But it's just that team feels like it should be a 95 win team before Juan Soto showed up, right? You got you Darvish, you got Joe Musgrove, you got these guys on the mound that are talented. Blake Snell's pitching really good since the beginning, since the first half. And I mean, for a really good pitcher to be pitching to a four, you, you want more than that. But you know, you gotta, you gotta get something more. And obviously that lineup is what's supposed to carry them, but they thought they got better and they haven't really gotten better. And I know the Fernando Tatis distraction, if you want to call it that is, is obviously a piece in that, but you can only use that excuse for a week or two. You got to go out there and play ball. Like there's no reason that, that Fernando Tatis should be distracting Juan Soto from being the player that he's capable of being. And there should be no pressure. You're in San Diego. It's sunny and 75 with no humidity every day. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're maybe they're hanging out on the beach a little too much. I mean, because I know I would. I'd be spending every day out on the links and on the beach. And you expect me to get ready for a 705 first pitch. <laughs> I got a little sun-kissed skin going on. So there ain't no way I'm getting ready for that. So Padres, we got to get this thing situated. I mean, you guys are way too talented to go two straight years. Remember, this isn't a team that uh, coming off the COVID year, everybody thought that was the future of, of the MLB. They were going to take down the Dodgers. And obviously the Dodgers continue to do what they're doing. And, and there's no reason to expect the Padres to, to win the division. But you got to build your team to at least be a championship contender. And I think they – on paper coming into the year, they were. On paper coming into the year last year, they were. So what's going on? We got to get that situated. So obviously looking ahead to this weekend, um, to be honest with you, not not the best slate of baseball series. Um, you got a little interleague uh, matchup between the Brewers, who obviously the Brewers got to get going here at some point, you know, that Josh Hader trade really ruffled the feathers. Oh yeah. By the way, Padres, you have Josh Hader too. So just a reminder, um, for any of our fans that forgot that the most dominant closer over the last two years has went to, went to San Diego and tell me if you've heard this before struggled. Now he's struggling in Milwaukee. So, um, and no, I don't think the Brewers knew something that nobody else did. I just think he was, he's very, he has a lot of moving parts in his mechanics and he lost it. And hopefully he's, when he figures it out, he's just still Josh Hader. So Milwaukee's going to New York. Obviously the Yankees, you guys got to keep building on that. You got to keep building that momentum and carry it in the playoffs because watch out if they do. 
Watch out if they do, because there's talent on that roster. They just needed the backside ground balls jinx to kind of get them going in the right direction. I know the boys had the podcast blaring in the clubhouse. Rizzo brought in a DJ just to play us ragging on on them. So everybody's motivated in that clubhouse right now because the backside ground balls called them out. But Milwaukee, you guys got to go in there, start figuring out. So that'll be a fun series. Um, and then you got pretty much the Phillies in it and the Braves. And obviously the Phillies, again, the Phillies get Bryce Harper back and they seem to almost be playing worse. And I'm not saying that's Bryce Harper's fault. It's just one of those things that's a product of a season. Um, they're, they're riding the roller coaster and Philadelphia Phillies riding the roller coaster. Tell me if you've heard that since 20, really 15, 16, whatever, you know, you want to say that even when they were bad, there was still some hype behind those teams and you'd look up at the end of the year. So, you know, you got to get something going and, and this is a good litmus test against a really good Braves team that you might line up with the, in the playoffs and, and kind of put your best foot forward. I know you don't have Wheeler, you haven't had Wheeler in a while, but you know, we got to get Sir Anthony Dominguez back in that ninth inning closing games out. I know Daniel, David Robertson has been good, but you know, Sir Anthony can be dominant and maybe they'll deploy him and, and a la the race and wherever the best matchups are, you know, kind of that situation. And for the Braves, they've had, you know, obviously they got hot in that stretch and they've played really good baseball. I don't want to say they're coming down to earth a little bit, but they had a tough matchup out there in Seattle and Kenley Jansen scuffling a little bit. I saw him live last Saturday, blow a, blow a save and he's blown a couple more, but Kenley Jansen has been here before. I mean, it's like Tom Brady and I'm not comparing Kenley Jansen to Tom Brady, but remember at the end of every NFL season for the past 10 years that people have been like, Tom Brady's done. The Patriots are done. They're not going to win. And then he just turns it on. Kenley Jansen. I I feel like I've heard this story a million times. Kenley Jansen's done. He can't save games. And then come playoff time, there he was with the Dodgers closing out games, right? His mechanics are a little out of whack. Again, he's kind of like Josh Hader, but in a different way. He's got a a lot of timing going on, a lot of moving parts. He gets right. He's still Kenley Jansen, and he still has a pulse for those situations, right? Rossiel Iglesias, he's a mouth breather. He's very intense, everything of that nature. He tried to fight the whole Pittsburgh Pirates team, which is just pure savagery. So again, he's one I, I, I want in a big moment, but sometimes the moment can get too big for those guys. Whereas Kenley Jansen is going to come in, you know, light some candles around the mound, go crisscross applesauce and meditate for the whole crowd while he's punching out tickets in the playoffs. So Obviously, the Braves and Snit, he trusts that guy. He trusts that guy in the ninth inning. He's the guy that's, he's been there, right? He, he's been in the ninth inning. He's been in the ninth inning in the biggest of biggest games, you know, and, and he's pitched in the playoff games basically since he debuted because the Dodgers were there every single year. So Kenley Jansen is getting the backing of his manager saying, Hey, we're going to stick with this guy. Kenley Jansen's been there. He's one of the best closers in recent memory. And, you know, he is. And, and he's obviously been, been uh, trusted to get a lot of big outs in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see. And in that series, like I said, it could be a precursor to the playoff series that we might see the wild card series. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Phillies match up. Obviously I still think the Phillies are a couple pieces away, you know, in the pitching, pitching rotation, it's kind of short, you know, they could, win, but they could sneak up and win a wild card series with those two guys. Those two guys are really good. Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler, they're really, 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 really good. And they could beat you on any given day. And then Bryce Harper can hit a three run Jack. And next thing you know, you're looking up at the scoreboard and you're down three, one in your ballpark. And it's like, Oh boy. And here comes Sir Anthony Dominguez throwing nasty pitches and you're 
and you're done. Your season's over. I mean, it's not the one game playoff that it was last year and in the past, but, and then you got to roll out of bed and face Zach Wheeler. And you're like, dude, he's gross too. So, I mean, that's not a team you want to see in a three game series. I think they, they are not fit to win a seven game series. I mean, again, in the playoffs, you could sneak up, do anything. Next thing you know, Ranger Suarez is going eight shutty, um, passing the ball off and, and you're losing that game too. But, um, you know, that's not a team that I'm sure the Braves want to see. So it's going to be a good litmus test to see how those, uh, those two teams match up and a precursor for the playoffs and kind of come out of the weekend having a better idea of, you know, what the Phillies are and, Braves, you know, Braves get back on the train tracks here. Let's get back rolling. Mets are scuffling. Mets are kind of skidding down the icy road right now. Braves can come back and take this take this division right by the horns and and walk away with it and and kind of take a lead there because that's that team is obviously very talented. We've said it until we're blue in the face on this podcast that that team is very 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 talented. The other series I'm looking out for, um, Cleveland Guardians versus the Twins. The Twins, we got to get something going. What is that team missing over the last couple of years? I think it, it is a talent deficiency. I mean, they've tried to plug holes. Obviously, their player development has not been great. And Byron Buxton not being healthy. How important is he, right? And obviously, they weren't playing great at coming out of the second half. He's been banged up all year. He hasn't been as you know playing as well as he's more than capable of more than capable of playing at a MVP caliber and coming out after the first month. I mean, people thought he was going to win the MVP. I mean, talk about the defense he brings, you know, 40 home runs powers. And I mean, he's played like 111 games and he's got like 30 pumps. This guy can play. So, you know, the, the twins kind of understand that that's what they've kind of talked about is getting him, getting 120 games of Byron Buxton is more important than trying to play through some pain, but obviously he went down with the hip injury. He hasn't even resumed baseball activities. They're saying that he's going to be ready by the end of the year and would be healthy for the playoffs, but we got to win some ball games before that happens, right? The White Sox are chasing the, the Guardians more than you are. So this is a good series to get back out there. I mean, Sonny Gray has been really good down the stretch. He was really good last night, really good last night. You know, so obviously he's not going to line up against the the Guardians this this weekend, but you know, you gotta you gotta start winning some ball games, and, and you gotta put your money where your mouth is in terms of the Twins. Like, you know, you, they've been the darling for a little bit. They were in the playoffs a couple years ago. You know, they go and get Correa. The, everybody's that was a good deal. I mean, Correa hasn't been great, but he he's been valuable and he's been a leader for that team and, and a leader in that clubhouse. And you know, you have the contact guy in Luis Arias who gets on base, and you know, he's that singles guy. He's gritty. He battles that everybody loves and. What what are we missing at that point? You go and get Gary Sanchez. You go and get Gio Urshela. You go and get these guys, and and you think it's going to change the dynamic of your lineup, and it's just still been meh. Where are these replacements coming from in the future? Obviously, we're talking about this year, but player development wise, that 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 organization's got to get it figured out. I mean, Max Kepler's had some of the worst luck I've ever seen on Baseball Savant. I mean, his expected stats are. Unreal. He was over twenty six with like he already had great expected stats. His expected slugging was really good. Everything like I mean, this dude was was barreling baseballs and not finding any luck. And it's two straight years where he's really found tough luck. So 
I mean, if you look at anybody's historical baseball savant pages, I, I, I would care to guess that Kepler is going to have a big year where he's going to overperform over his batted ball profile at some point here because he's, he puts the ball in play hard. He puts the ball in the air. He hits a lot of doubles. He's, he's a good hitter. He doesn't strike out a ton and nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. I mean, I, I was tracking him at May when he was scuffling saying, dude, his baseball savant page is screaming a turnaround and it never came never came so we got to get him going we got to get Buxton back in the lineup Nick Gordon you're finally figuring it out in the big league level that's good well you know start to stack good at bats start to stack good games and and maybe that lineup starts to have a different dynamic to it but you know there's just something about that team right now I don't know what they're missing I don't know obviously they're just not deep with talent that's the thing. What do we we've talked about this on the podcast before? What's the biggest issue with teams is when you're not deep with talent, it's very 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 hard to replace guys like Buxton, to replace guys like Arias if he needs to go down, to replace any of these guys. When you're relying on Nick Gordons of the world to kind of come in and replace Byron Buxton and it it just doesn't cut it. It does not cut it, and it doesn't make you a playoff team. So the best teams continually stack depth. They stack depth through player development. They don't have to go spend on a TD Gregorius. They don't have to go trade for a Gio or Shella. They don't have to spend on these guys because they know that the guy in AAA is ready to come up and perform, right? So I know they've been – hampered by injuries, hampered by injuries, but you know, we got to get something going there. We got to get something going. They, they've made a couple trades for players that they like the barriers trade. You look back at, they got Simone Woods Richardson and, Oh, I'm drawing a blank on the old shortstop from Vandy, Austin Martin and seen nothing. I mean, Barrios hasn't been good for the blue Jays. Don't get me wrong. So it's not like they, uh, they figured it out, but I mean, it's, it's tough to see. It's tough to to kind of watch because they. You feel like they've done the right things. You feel like they've been active. You feel like they've kind of tried to be really good, but nothing to show for it, right? Nothing to show for it. So those are two series that I'll be looking for this weekend. Um, obviously, lots of other baseball going on. Lots of good college football. Not the the marquee matchups, um, but you got Auburn versus Penn State. We are. Um, Big game, big test. Uh, if anybody heard Josh Pate's podcast, um, he will be in town, but he picked Auburn to win. And he said his reasoning was that because weird things happen in Jordan here. And that's what scares me as a Penn State fan, right? I think Penn State's better. There's not a nine, but they're better. They're better pretty much across the board. And and it'll be interesting to see. It's a great test for this team early in the season. Obviously, they already went to Purdue, but I'll be really fired up if they can go down there and get a win because that's a tough environment to go to. I, I don't have any other, like on paper, they're better. I would take, if it was at a neutral site, I'm taking them plus the points. But weird things are going to happen in Jordan Hare. So I'm not getting my getting my feet at my, the cart ahead of the horse and, and trying to predict a win there. They got to get down there and win a ball game. So if anybody's a college football fan, obviously that's a, that's a big game this weekend. You also have Miami and Texas A&M. Jimbo, let's get it figured out. Let's get it figured out. You're calling plays like it's 1997 and – it's not working anymore. Jameis Winston ain't, ain't got crab legs in your in your offense anymore. Come on now. We got to get with the times. 
You see Sark over there across the state calling the best plays in the freaking world because nobody draws up a play like Steve Sarkeesian. My God. God, it's so it, it blows my mind. I'm going to go on a little tangent here. God, I'm just rambling. So love it. But Devontae Smith wins the MVP. You guys ever want to know how important an offensive coordinator was? Devontae Smith doesn't win the MVP, wins the Heisman. Plays Ohio State in the national championship. You're defensive coordinator. Who do you not want getting the ball? Devontae Smith, right? You think? Because for 200 plus in the first half. That was the first time I ever realized how much, how important an offensive coordinator was. The motions, the just making the reads, getting him open, getting the ball out quick. Mac Jones looked like freaking Tom Brady picking apart a defense in two minute drill in the Super Bowl. Cause Sark, watch out. Texas is going to be good. I'm not saying they're back, but they're going to be good moving forward. So back to baseball here. Um, we got rule changes coming. Everybody hit me up. Let me know. Let me or Dan know if you're listening to the pod. What are your thoughts? We'd love to hear some feedback. We'd love to get a, get an idea of what the what the um fan bases think. Obviously, baseball, baseball more than anything. God. They hate change. They hate change. So everybody's already negative. Baseball players hate change. Baseball fans hate change. I think this is good change. I know Rob Manfred gets a lot of flack. But what commissioner doesn't? Every decision they make is criticized. And you can't make everybody happy. So, But I will say, from a minor league perspective, I know I've had people that have struggled with it, um, get, keeping their legs under them, keeping, them, keeping their velo late, things like that. But you get used to it. And this, this, the data backs it up. We have saved 30 minutes on games in AAA and nothing has changed in runs per game, in hits per game, in batting average, in anything, ERA, anything. Everything across the board is identical, but you've saved 30 minutes on a game length, right? Baseball is obviously the beauty is that there is no clock, but if we can speed up the viewers, like speed up the process of the game, I think it's going to be great for, for viewership. It's going to be great for fans. I mean, we live in a society that is, wants everything instantaneous. Everything. We can't go on Twitter and we're freaking scrolling at the top waiting for more dopamine, 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 dopamine. You're telling me these are the same people that are we're supposed to keep in, interested in baseball when we got a pitcher? <sighs> Doing his breathing. And I, dude, I got my master's degree with sports psychology. I get it. We got to have our process. I was a coach. I want you to breathe. I want you to relax. I want you to be at your peak, but we got to get this whole thing situated. Pitchcom should be mandated with this. Pitchcom right into the ear. Let's go get the ball. Let's go. So I'm, I'm excited because. You know, you listen to the Compound Podcast with Ian Happ and you hear Zach Short and Dakota Meckes talk about it. They say they love it. They're back home quick. Game goes quick. Dakota talked about how when he watches major league games, it's completely different, completely different experience. And he's like, throw the ball. Let's go move this along. So it'll be nice to see some fast pace there. I mean, everybody, like you think about football when the hurry up offense came in, right? Everybody's excited, right? This is going to be exciting. I think it's going to be good for the game. I think it's going to speed up and just make everything more enjoyable, less dead time, less downtime, less just uh, 
of this all stuff. Like, and umpires, the big thing too, from this perspective is we have to enforce it, but don't become an ump show, right? Just because you're pissed off because a batter's chirping you, don't become an ump show, right? So that's going to be the balance with this. I know, I know it's going to be tough, but if we're in the bottom of the ninth and there's two outs and this hitter's in the box, you're going, okay. And you bang him for not being in the box for within eight, 10 seconds. Um, it's eight seconds. That's going to be an issue. So let's not abuse this. It's good. Let's have the clock there. Let's make sure pitchers, hitters, catchers are abiding by it. Let's make pitch come apart so that they don't have to worry about it. Signs, guy on second. Let's just make it all pitch com. Every team should have to have pitch com. It's going to speed up the viewership. I mean, there's. I say this all the time. I've told this story to everybody who would listen. There's nothing that bores me more than when we get into these bullpen matchups and pitching changes and blah, 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 blah. And I'm as baseball as baseball can be. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something else to watch right at that point. Or I'm checking my phone or I'm even reading a book, taking a nap, whatever. So it'll be interesting to see how that helps with viewership. I mean, everybody talked about the three batter rule. That's not existent now, right? Nobody talks about that anymore. And it's great. It's good for baseball. Sure, some guys lost some jobs there, but the quality of baseball, righties got to learn how to get lefties out. Lefties got to learn how to get righties out. Let's figure it out, right? And and it's been good for baseball and nobody's talking about it. Same thing with the mound visits. I mean, it was brought up on the podcast that I listened to with the compound again. They were talking about the rule changes. I hate to quote another. They're like, what's the point of making a podcast if you're just going to recycle everybody's opinions? Well, I don't know. My ego, I guess. Um, but they were talking about in 2017 when everybody knew that the Astros were stealing signs, but nobody said anything until obviously it, it all came out down the road. But how many mound visits there were? How many pitching changes there were? How many times they had to change signs? Those games were horrible to watch. I mean, action-packed when we were throwing the ball and taking some hacks. But let's speed this whole process up. So I'm, I'm excited to see. Um, also, the, the negative I have with it, which maybe it'll be interesting. I know some of you old heads out there, maybe you don't listen to our podcast, but the stolen base is dead. The stolen base is dead. All right. Well, I'll tell you right now, some MLB teams are bringing back the stolen base. Wink and a nod. Um we can talk about one of these days, Orioles, Yankees, single and a steal is equivalent to a double Arcadia university. Shout out the value of a base. I got data. I got analytics from the division three landscape to prove it. But anyway, stepping off only two times. Come on. We got to figure something out better than that, but who knows? Maybe it'll be non-existent. I don't believe pickoffs work anyway. I mean, other than Andy Pettit, it's been a long time since you see an, a pickoff. So nowadays, it's just about changing looks. I mean, John Lester made a career not being able to control the run game. I hate control in the run game. I hate it. I hate pickoffs. I hated it in a dugout when I would sit in a dugout and pitching coach. I'm calling out Dan, but I'm not calling out Dan. If you know, you know, because Dan doesn't call pickoffs ever, and I loved it to the point where I want the first baseman to play in the back pocket because we don't pick off, control the running game with holds, looks, everything. Just like four straight pickoffs. What are we doing? The kid's got four bags on the year. 
four bags. What are we doing picking off six times? Every game, every game. And I, that's when you lose me. You lose me again. So in the big leagues, nobody picks off anyway. So maybe this rule will be non-existent. I just think you got guys that are going to be able to jump it and, and it's going to bring back the stolen base. I just think it's a little weird. Like if I get, if I get crossed up, I pitch calm, I got to step off, whatever. Like we got to make something for that, but throwing over to first at this point, it's non-existent. So you better, you know, you better control something. You might be able to almost bait guys into picking off twice and then be able to catch them leaning on your third time, something like that. So it'll be interesting to see how that rule kind of holds up um, over time. And, Obviously, the big one too is elimination of the shift. And, you know, we already talked about Billy Ripken talking about how he doesn't believe that the shift takes away as many hits as it does. And we don't have to get into that again. I don't got, I don't got enough time for that. But I will say it's going to help a certain amount of guys more than it's going to help others. The ground ball up the middle is still going to be an out. Newsflash. I know people don't want to hear that, but two guys on each side of second base. Now the missile in the hole, that's a tougher play. Now you can put the second baseman right next to the first baseman. You leave up the middle completely open, so you got to pick and choose. The lefties are going to be in a much better spot. And even righties that kind of hit that 5-6 hole really well, they're going to be in a better spot. But because it's just going to leave so much green grass. And and they still have the data. They still have the analytics. But you're talking about 111 off of Max Muncy's bat right off the second baseman. That's going to be a tough play for him. Short hop, pick it. It's going to be a tough play. So I think it's going to help those guys the most, um, the Max Muncy's of the world, the guys that that kind of ground into that, the Juan Soto's of the world. I mean, how many knocks has Juan Soto had stolen from him this year? I'm sure a billion. Just line drive right at the second baseman and short right field, pick it out at first. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. It's two cleats on the dirt, two cleats on the dirt two players on each side of the base. So like I said, shortstop is still going to be up the middle or vice versa. Second base is still going to be up the middle. So for those righty pool guys, the shift is still going to look the same in a lot of ways. Um, I had that actually pointed out to me by Billy Ripken on MLB Network. So credit you for, for pointing that out, that some of these shifts that we see are still shifts. Like those missile ground balls up the middle, they're still shifts. There's, and that's going to be legal. So it'll be interesting to see how that actually unfolds. I think who it helps the most is a lefty. It just has to be miserable to be a lefty in the MLB for the last couple of years. I mean, it's a credit to what Bryce Harper has been able to do to hit 300 with the shift last year and this year. Juan Soto, we talk about these guys all the time, but to do it as a lefty, Freddie Free, to do it as a lefty, I couldn't imagine. I I couldn't imagine. I mean, I I talk about it all the time. Like these people have, have, swing metrics that prove that you cannot hit a ground ball in X spot. They know where all your miss hits. And you look back, anybody who's played baseball and hit for a long time, look back at your career. We were all creatures of habit. I couldn't hit a ground ball a second to save my life. Everything I hit the other way went in the air. And I pulled balls on the ground through the five, six hole. If you put a shortstop there, I would hit a hundred. I would hit a hundred. So, the lefties, I couldn't imagine freaking crushing a ball. Like you, you crush a ball in the in the left field as a righty, that picks it and throws you out at first. Like what the frick is that? So lefties in the game today, like man, it's tough. It, 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 it is really, really, really tough. So we'll have two cleats on the dirt and two cleats or and two players on both sides of the bag. The pitch clock is 
and eight second, the hitter has to be in position. So the it's 10 seconds, the hitter has to be in position. Eight second, much at the eight second mark. So we're going backwards. So my apologies, I'm, I'm working backwards. So with eight seconds left on the clock, the pitcher must start his motion by the expiration of a clock. A violation by a pitcher is an automatic ball. One by the hitter constitute an automatic strike. Step offs, you only get two per at bat. And then the other thing is bigger bases. I like it, bringing second base closer. I mean, how many stolen bases are just bang, bang? Bang, bang. That if that, that was five inches, four and a half inches closer, I believe is what they're saying it'll be. If the base was four and a half inches closer, there's a lot of plays in the MLB that would be would be stolen bases and, and we would still see stolen bases. And the other thing is, is bigger bases gives, there's nothing I hate more than a guy freaking sliding into second and sliding past second base. Like we got to, we got to fix that. I'm surprised that's not on this call or on these rule changes because you slide in the wagon, you're safe, you're safe. Like let's stick, stick to the process, right? That's what we talk about. Be process oriented. So that's my, uh, that's my opinions on the rule changes. I'm sure we'll get Dan on here early next week and, and talk about, talk about that. The last thing I want to cover, and to be honest with you, I don't plan on covering much of it because I think I envision it's going to be an episode we talk about down the road, but Otani versus judge. And I'm just going to keep it simple, right? If Judge doesn't win this year, you got to make another award. You have to make another award because when is Otani not going to win? Judge just has 57 homers. He's playing center field. He's he's carrying the Yankees team. And I don't buy it. I hate the fact that it has to go to a team on a, a player on a playoff team. Sorry. But he's carrying that Yankees team through highs and lows. I mean, this dude's freaking hype hiking up Mount Everest with the freaking team on his back. Not even team, sorry. My apologies. The city on his back. And with the Yankee fans, you could argue the world. There's Yankee hats everywhere. Start paying attention. I say that all the time. Girlfriends from New York. I say, I'll always text her like, oh, I saw my first Yankee hat whenever I'm anywhere. Anywhere. Doesn't matter. U.S. Open. Doesn't matter. Golf. Doesn't matter. Cincinnati Reds game. Atlanta Braves game. You go anywhere, there's a Yankee hat. I guarantee it. Quote me, but if Judge can't win this year, it's they have to make another award because Otani is going to win every year. Plain and simple, he is going to win every single year. Yes, he's a unicorn, but at some point we have to start comparing him to himself. Right, this hasn't been Otani's best year. He deserves more Cy Young votes than he deserves MVP votes because he's obviously been better on the mound this year than he has been at the plate. And obviously, I mean, I'm not saying he's been bad at the plate, but last year he he carried the freight with the stick and he was really good on the mound. This year he's really good on the mound and carrying the freight with the stick. You know, like it's kind of like the opposite where, you know, he's obviously the most, he's obviously the most valuable player. But we can't just continue to do that for the next 12 years because then nobody else is going to win the MVP. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe it's not, but it's not like we're giving it to a guy who's hitting 280 with 27 homers and good defense. We're giving it to a guy who's hitting 300 with 57 pumps with 15 plus days to go. So he's got a chance to get to 60. Playing center field for the most important franchise and the most historic franchise in the major leagues. While that team struggles, 
he continues to rake. He's six foot nine, and you know how hard it is to repeat your mechanics at six foot nine? Hard it is, and to stay healthy as Joel Embiid. When you're that tall and you move that well and you're that fast and you're that athletic, it is hard to stay healthy and it's hard to repeat your mechanics. So the fact that he's avoided a slump for this long is a credit to how athletic and how proprioceptive he is because that is unreal to be able to maintain that for that long. And again, Otani is great. He's great. He's great. He's the best player in the world. He's the only person we've ever seen that's been able to do this. And he does both at an unbelievable level. I mean, we've never seen anything like it. We've never seen anything like it in the modern era. And, you know, he's basically out there playing college baseball, you know, DH pitching, coming out of the game, hitting homers, swiping bags. I get it. But I just think if in any given year, if we can't find a reason to give it to judge, This year, it's just going to be Otani's every single year. The guy's going to hit 60 homers and hit 300 and play center field. So we're arguing Otani and his arm versus Judge and his defense because Otani doesn't play defense. Remember that. So they both bring in two things to the table. But I do just think that, again, like I said, Plain and simple. If Judge can't win this year, they need to make another award because nobody's going to win. It's going to be Otani's the MVP and who's the best player, which is what it should be. It should be the best player anyway. I'm, I'm so sick and tired of hearing, well, he's not on a playoff team. Well, he hit 330 with 40 pumps. That's pretty valuable. That's pretty valuable. Whether you're playing for the Washington Nationals this year or whether you're playing for the New York Yankees. That's pretty valuable. So let's stop that. Let's make an, let's figure out this MVP award because I hate that half the voters believe it's one thing and half the voters believe it's another. So that'll be all. I'm surprised I went 50 minutes, but obviously we had a decent amount of things to cover without having the podcast earlier in the week. Um, so make sure that you like, share, and subscribe. If you listen, please share with five friends. We're trying to, to do this. We're trying to make this big. We think we got a pretty good product that we're putting out there. We feel like we do a pretty good job each and every week. We love doing it. We'd love to do it for our full-time job. Shout out if anybody has any jobs in the area in Raleigh, Durham area, we're willing to commute. Shout out to give them Dan and I's information. We'd love to work for him. Um, so if you know anybody in the North Carolina area that's looking for work, Dan and I are trying, but we'd love to do this for our full-time job. We'd love to produce content. So share with five friends. Let's, let's get this podcast well-known. Um, we'd love to get on John Boy at some point, get to that level, but we got to start. Rome wasn't built in a day. So share with five friends, subscribe, like. Let's get this thing going. Let's, let's get this podcast known. Go Penn State.